Hello and welcome back to another awesome edition of the Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I am joined by Hannah. Say hi, Hannah. Hi. <laughs> this is the Revelation Podcast. If you're looking for our service, that's a different one. Go go find a different podcast. A different, get it? Different. Get it. <laughs> get it. It's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is our, uh, our study of Revelation. We're going straight through the book of Revelation and we're kind of taking like a progressive Christian uh, point of view and... Hopefully this is maybe some material that you're not super used to hearing and it might make you think of the book of Revelation a little bit differently. Uh, This is our second episode, but it's actually the first episode where we're looking at the actual script. So Hannah, how did you feel about our first episode? Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. Me too. We got some great feedback, and I'm really excited to jump into the actual text, though, because it's very exciting. Revelation is nothing but an exciting book. Cool. Yeah, did anybody reach out to you and say, like, man, I'm really excited for the next one? Yeah, a couple of people, actually. Yeah, me too. And Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, specifically Greg. Shout out to Greg. (laughs) uh, Shout out to Greg. Yeah. Yeah, so coming at you, you'll be able to listen to this tomorrow. Although, when you hear me say tomorrow, it will be your today. Inception. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I guess let's just jump in. Uh, our our kind yes, of yes, because dyna- you're not here for our ridiculous jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The dynamic of this podcast is basically um, Hannah's smart and I'm dumb, and uh, I'm just gonna listen to what she has to say. So she's gonna kind of lead us through it. And I'm going to ask every stupid question I can think of. <laughs> and smart questions as well. That's true. That's true. Although so, I, I may not think of those. <laughs> Have a little faith, man. Have a little faith. Okay. Okay. So the way that we're going to split up chapter one, as well as the rest of the chapters, is we're going to split them into sections. Because if you take an entire chapter of Revelation at once, it can be a little overwhelming. And so the way we're going to work it is we're going to read a section of scripture and then we're going to discuss it. And then we will read a section of scripture and discuss it and so on. So chapter one is split into two sections, uh, verses one through eight and then verses nine through 20. So we are going to start, of course, with verses one through eight. It would be weird if we started in verse nine. (laughs) And I am going to ask Jarrett to read the first section of the passage. Cool. Just so everybody knows, what translation are we using? We are using the New Living Translation. Okay. I'm curious. Do you have like a, you know, uh, a super preference? Like this is the only translation that works or like do kind of all of them work? What do you think? Yeah, I think the best translation is the one that you're actually going to read. Oh, snap. So if you... If you hate reading it because the words are confusing or the phrases, phrasing doesn't make sense, then don't use that translation. I think the NLT is very accessible to most people in today's world, so that's a good one. Um, but sometimes if you have a, tra- uh, a translation that you have been reading for a long time, it's always a good idea to read a different translation because then you can actually hear the scripture, like things that you will skim right over because you've heard those words over and over again, will sink in differently and actually hit your consciousness because they're being phrased in a different way. Yeah, that's good advice. And if you're totally brand new, it doesn't really matter. Like there's a bunch of different options. If you just want to follow along with what we're using, the NLT, New Living Translation, is really easy to understand. But if you are someone who likes Shakespeare and you want to read King James, (laughs) go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, All right, so I'm reading this first chunk. Here we go. 
Revelation chapter 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Totally, I got it. All right, I'm still going, right? <clears throat> yep, you still got two more verses. <laughs> okay. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the... Na oh, my computer just did something weird. Hold on, sorry. Do, do, do. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Wonderful. A round of applause, but not in the microphone, because I'm not going to blow your eardrums out. I'm doing it in the microphone. <laughs> so... Thank you for reading so wonderfully the very first section of Revelation. Um, this is basically an introduction. And what we have to grasp before we get into the imagery and all of the craziness that happens in Revelation is we have to get our head around the idea of Revelation itself. So Revelation is a word that is used as a title for this book. Note that it is Revelation not revelations. John is not getting multiple revelations. He's getting one revelation and writing it down. Um, the reason that this book is called Revelation and not the Apocalypse is because the Apocalypse wasn't really a well-known word at the time that this was translated into English. So it was called Revelation because Apocalypse, it just wasn't something we said. And of course, that's probably a good thing because apocalypse and apocalyptic, as we talked about in the last episode, they've become very well known in English. So they refer to like natural disasters or human made horrible things that encompass the entire world. And that is not the same that Revelation has in this book. So John, who is the author of Revelation? Sometimes you'll see him referred to as John the Seer or John the Divine in writings. Um, he's writing in this way that is well known to the Jewish world at the time. And the purpose of this writing is to make available to people, to, in fact, make available to regular people, the visions of these holy prayer for people. So if you're a normal person, you don't have like how would if I'm sitting here in my room having a vision and I've been praying for a month and God gives me a vision. Nobody else knows about my vision unless I'm going to write it down. So this is the type of literature that we're doing. And the question that all of these holy people are wrestling with is what is the divine purpose? 
And so when we have in Revelation is this sudden unveiling of a previously hidden truth. And this will come up over and over again in this book, um, this sudden unveiling of a previously hidden truth. And so that's what I want you to think when you hear the word revelation is an unveiling of hidden truth um, or a revelation from God essentially is God telling us something that was previously hidden or that we previously did not understand. I like that phrase. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to drop a rap album and that's going to be the title. <laughs> the sudden unveiling of a previously hidden truth by Jay Haas. <laughs> well, I mean, if you do, then we can promote it on this podcast and you'll sell literally dozens of copies. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So revelation, both the idea of revelation and this particular letter, they're based as we discussed in the last episode of this ancient belief that God's sphere of operation, God's place where God exists and the place where humans exist are not separated by this great distance. So God is in heaven, humans are on earth. We typically think of heaven being very, very far away distance wise, but actually they're overlapping and interlocking dimensions. <clears throat> now where, Jarrett, if you were an ancient Jew, where would the meeting place of heaven and earth be? Oh man, good question. Okay. The meeting place of heaven and earth, the 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 ground? <laughs> good good guess. Um the meeting place would be the temple. That's oh, that's yeah, that's so, better. <laughs> because and remember we think about the if you've grown up in church, I'm sure you've seen at some point like a felt board diagram of the tabernacle. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's the temple and there's the outer core and then there's the inner core and then there's the holiest place. And that is where God's presence was most real. So if you were an ancient Jew, that place in the temple, that was where heaven and earth actually collided and intersected. It wasn't somewhere far off in the galaxy. And if you were a Christian, an early Christian, where would the place where heaven and earth meet be? The same. I'll let you. Oh. I'll let you look at your notes. Oh no, I'm not looking. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to cheat. Um, so it's either. I'll give you a hint. It, it's not a place. Yeah, Jesus. It's Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Jesus juke. <laughs> so looking at Jesus and contemplating his death and resurrection in particular. The early Christians believed that they could see right into God's own world. And of course they could because this is actually something Jesus said out loud. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you looked at Jesus in the physical person, you could understand things about God's purpose, which nobody else had ever understood before because Jesus was this place where heaven and earth were meeting in one spot. But then we run into a problem <laughs> because... This little tiny Christian movement is growing and it's gaining momentum and it's also gaining a lot of uh, negative attention from the authorities and from the Jews. And so the question emerges, what is God doing now? What, what, what is God's plan for this tiny little church? Where is this all going? And that leads to the biggest question of all. Why would God allow followers of Jesus to suffer persecution? Oh, man, that's... Uh... We, we don't deal with that question anymore today, right? Definitely not. Yeah, yeah, that's not pertinent. <laughs> yeah, that question comes up. I think it is the biggest challenge to faith is, of course, the problem of evil. But if you're a person of faith, you, I am sure, have at least thought this, some form of this question at some point in your journey. 
Why is this happening to me? I'm a person of faith. How could God be allowing this to happen to me? Yeah. And as a result of that question, these poor Christians who are just small numbers, maybe 10, maybe 20 people in an entire city would be Christian. They're meeting in these tiny little house churches. They don't have buildings. They don't have uh, Zoom meetings like we have. They <laughs> And they're mostly lower caste people. So there's a few wealthy people that are involved, but mostly it's uh, slaves, non-citizens, laborers, all of these people meeting together. And what should they do? They're faced with the fastest growing religion in the Roman Empire, which is the worship of the emperor, like we discussed in the last episode. And if you resisted that, you would face persecution and potentially die. Is it even worth it to resist this religion, this worship of Caesar that everyone is doing? And not just everyone's doing it. Everyone's like falling over themselves to be the best, <laughs> the most important. Like the, they're going to build the best temple. It's going to be the greatest temple that anyone has ever seen to Caesar. They're just like falling over themselves to pledge their loyalty and allegiance to the emperor and his family. It's funny. Like this is a s slight sidebar, but like I think about the motivations for why someone would want to do that and... I don't know this to be true, but I imagine it's because Caesar would be happy with you or, you know, other authorities under Caesar would be like, all right, look at this big temple that that guy built. I'm going to like hook him up with some extra, you know, whatever money, power. And uh, that's that's something that has totally crossed over to Christendom and, you know, over the, through, throughout the years we've been dealing with that, you know, let me uh, make this church as big and fancy as possible and God will, will bless me. Absolutely. And even in the church world, that's definitely true, but also church or people of faith interacting with the government in that way is. Very oh true yeah. As well. <laughs> Which is, I mean, revelation is a extremely political book. I mean, the entire Bible is fairly political. Um, but when, I hear this a lot from Christians or other pe people of other faiths. They say, I just don't want to get political. I just want to have faith. But but by proclaiming Jesus as Lord, you're saying Caesar is not, which, which is a statement that can't be made without consequences. So these poor little Christians are like, is it, are we wasting our time? It looks like there is a Lord of the world right now. And it's Caesar. Yeah. Are we wasting our time following this Jew who was crucified? <laughs> the entire book of Revelation is written to say no to them. <clears throat> nice. No, you're not wasting your time. And so John obviously is very schooled and learned in the Jewish scriptures. He is learned in the Jewish traditions. And this will come up again and again. You'll see imagery. You will see things that he is quoting there's some quotes in Revelation where it quotes the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, but there are also so many allusions and so many images that are pulled from the Old Testament that we wouldn't get unless we were really, really looking, but that readers who knew the Hebrew scriptures would have instantly known what he was talking about. Because if you're an expert on something, you don't necessarily put block quotes around everything you say. Right, yeah. That, you're just be speaking like in those a, languages. A conversation with me, uh, it's mostly movie quotes. And it would be really obnoxious if I told you where all of them came from every time. 
Exactly. And so John is quoting over and over and he's pulling from the Old Testament. And so his mind is full of this. And remember, he's been banished onto an island. So he's by himself just praying and praying. We don't know how long he had been praying, but it says that he he had at least been praying for a while. I think that's actually in the next section. Is it okay um, if I say he was definitely praying for too long? <laughs> no. <laughs> no matter how long it was, it was too it was too long to pray. You don't want this vision? You don't want to pray until you get the book of Revelation Actually, in your mind? Actually, I kind of do. Yeah. I, like, I like stuff <laughs> like this. It's funny. Uh, Tiffany and I always joke she hates having dreams because she always, she's like, I wake up and I feel like I didn't get a chance to rest. And I love having crazy mm-hmm. vivid dreams. I think it's super fun. Not I that like I'm saying this is a dream. don't wear me out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so a vision is kind of like a dream. Now, there's been some argument over what's a dream and what's a vision. I would say the generally you could say that a vision is it's interchangeable. You could be having a vision while you're dreaming or you could be in like this trance-like state and having a vision while you're still technically awake. Um, but we don't really talk about stuff like that anymore. That's very <clears throat> mystical. It's very ancient. Yeah. And if someone were to come and be like, I had a vision, we would be like, get out of here, crazy person. <laughs> no, you didn't. You just ate some weird pizza and went to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so John's praying and who knows how long he's been praying. He's been praying and praying and studying the Bible, his Bible at the time, which would have been the Old Testament. Um, it didn't look exactly the same. It was very similar. And this one particular occasion that he's praying, he finds himself face to face with Jesus himself. And we will get to that in a second because that is quite intense. But the introduction, these first eight verses, tell us a lot about what kind of book this is and what we can expect. So there's a few important things that I want to highlight before we jump into the actual vision of Jesus. Okay. Now, when we learn about, when we think about what this book is and how we should approach reading it, of course, I am assuming as a baseline that we should be reading with careful prayer and thought and be ready for God to lift the curtain for us so that we can also understand more than we ever had imagined. This isn't just some, it's not just words on a page, which sounds super churchy. (laughs) But if John had this revelation that blew his mind so much and he writes it down and he's coming face to face with Jesus himself and he's providing this so that we can still learn from it all of these years later, it's not unreasonable to think that that the meeting place of heaven and earth is not far from us either. That's comforting. And we can learn. Yeah, it's, well, maybe. <laughs> it's maybe comforting. <laughs> or terrifying. Wait till you see the image of Jesus. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So first thing is this book is a four-stage revelation. It's not God tells John. It's actually God tells something to Jesus, who then tells something to an angel who then tells something to John. And through John, everyone else gets to know. So it's like... So it's very extended. It's like telephone. It's like telephone, I suppose, except that the message is coming across as clearly as it possibly can. We hope. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, If God... If there were no intermediary between God and John, who knows if he would have survived this encounter. Yeah, yeah, his face would have burned off or something. Right, which we don't normally, we don't typically like 
use these crazy metaphors when it comes to God, but it's not unreasonable, especially considering the image of Jesus that we get only a few verses from now. So first we have this four-stage revelation. Second, the book takes this form of an extended letter. The whole thing, Revelation, is an actual letter that's meant to be read to real real people. So in chapters two and three, there's little blurbs to each one of the seven churches in Western Turkey. But the book as a whole was a letter from John to all seven of the churches and any other church in between or around who could have gotten their hands on it, telling them what he has seen. Third, this book is a prophecy. So we should keep this in mind um, because as with all of the ancient prophets in the Old Testament, they're drawing on their culture and they're drawing on scripture that was written before them. And as we discussed, John is doing the same thing. And then fourth, this book functions as witness. Now this is really important because in the book of Revelation, you will see the words witness and testimony a lot. These words are basically the same. So anytime you see witness, you can interchange it for testimony. Anytime you see testimony, you can interchange it for witness. They are synonymous in Revelation. So if I say the word witness or testimony to you, what pops into your mind? I I immediately think of, you know, uh, court proceedings or something. Yes, and that's exactly what you should think of. Um, These... We have this sense in Revelation that God is conducting a giant court of law in the heavens. And in that law, in that court of law, the witness, quote unquote, that is borne by Jesus and Jesus' followers, these people of faith, is the key to the ultimate judgment and verdict. And that may sound like a lot of words, and we, but we will get into that. But also the important thing to note when you hear the word witness or testimony is that these words carry the same weight as the word martyr, which is, of course, a Greek word for people who die for what they believe in. Um, If you bear this testimony, you may be called to suffer or even die for what you have said or for what you have done. That's heavy. Yes. It's heavy and it's re- revelation is based around this whole thing. If you bear witness, you may be called to account by the people in authority. But remember, as we said last time, it sucks. Keep the faith. <laughs> they are not the actual authorities. God is the actual authority. And we actually get a picture of heaven, I think, in chapter. I don't even remember which chapter. <laughs> it's coming up very soon. It'll be very exciting. We get a picture of heaven where God is ruling in the ultimate reality. And like, what was the metaphor we used in the last time? We're in the upside down. Yeah, the right side up. Right. So just keep that in mind. Anytime you see the word witness or the word testimony, that it's <clears throat> that grave, that the word martyr could be interchanged with that. Nice. I I just instantly want to come up with like a Judge Jesus court show. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. I, what should we call it? I, I mean, Judge Jesus, probably, right? And, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And then I think of Arrested Development, where they have the hung jury with William Hung, and he's got his, like, mm-hmm. the band on the side. Yeah, so that, that's where my head is at. I just, you know, I just want to apologize to everyone listening to this who actually wants to learn something, and I'm doing <laughs> Judge Jesus and William Hung's hung jury Arrested Development jokes. Well... It's actually a wonderful thing that you're doing jokes, and I'm not just saying that (laughs) to make you feel better. So Revelation can be really heavy, um, so a little bit of (laughs) brevity, a little bit of lightheartedness is not a bad thing. 
Nice. That's my specialty. And speaking of Judge Jesus, <laughs> he is the central figure. And that's the last thing you have to remember about the book of Revelation is that everything that is to come in the book of Revelation from this point on flows from Jesus himself. And through Jesus, it's from God. Nice. Remember the four stage revelation. And this God is who was, who is, and who is, is to, to come. come. Yes. And so even in this tiny little opening, John is telling us a, a great deal of what he believes about God and Jesus and the divine plan. Because we have, when he says God is almighty, who was and is and is to come, that's in the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, he's basically saying you will hear other people claiming similar titles, that they're the savior, that they're the son of God. But there is only one God to whom all of these peons belong <laughs> and it is the true god and the only person who has accomplished god's purpose is jesus and he did this through his death and resurrection and then of course jesus is coming back yes, to complete to come. this task yes and to set up his rule on earth as in heaven cool and i think that that's the only way that christian belief makes sense to me is that Jesus and God will eventually set everything to right. Now, I know a lot of other people feel differently about that, and that's totally fine. But for me personally, I find without the belief in the resurrection, without the belief that God is going to set everything back to right, which is the a very strong belief that we have in Revelation over and over and over again, I feel like it's this religion would be pointless. It's really helpful. Like, what are we even doing? Um, yeah, go ahead. It's really helpful for the question we asked earlier, the, the problem of suffering and the problem of evil. Um, if you have that that belief and thought, like that's kind of like the answer, sort of. I mean, it's not exactly the answer, but you can at least know that at some point all of that's going to go away. If you don't hold to that belief, which is maybe okay, I don't know, um, then the answer to the question is maybe more ambiguous. Like it's just suffering happens because crap happens, which is, I don't know. That's well, an answer. Suffering happens because crap happens. Yeah. Yeah. The question is not why does suffering happen? The question is what, what is going to happen? Like what's going to be done about it? Like we can all look at the world and be like, yeah, this place blows sometimes, <laughs> but also it's beautiful. But, but a lot of times it's a terrible place. As well, and for a lot of people, their lives have been marked by these horrible traumatic experiences that they've gone through. And the question is not why did this happen, because we can look and see why it happened. Most of the time, it's humans. Yeah. The question is, aren't you going to do something about it? Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. Revelation says yes, but not right now. Okay. Yeah. Which is a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if you could do it right now, or like whenever you wanted, because all you know. We've talked about this before, but all all the people who like get a really good parking spot somewhere and they attribute that to God, you know, supernaturally intervening. Well, if he can do that, then why can't he get rid of coronavirus or, you know, step in during the Holocaust right. or something? And that's right. that's the answer as well. It's not yet. Well, and it's we will see this because that's not a comforting answer at all. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that answer, that very answer has made a lot of people not want to have anything to do with 
faith. Yeah, because if he could. Um, but what I will say is we will encounter this question and an answer to it in Revelation, and it will be a much more satisfactory answer than not right now. Okay. There will be a why for why not right now. Nice. And it's not because people are, you know, have to be saved before they get burned up alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the answer. So I hate to ask you to hold <laughs> because it'll be several, it'll be a while. We have to set the stage first in these chapters of Revelation, but Revelation is a a long haul. Um, I don't know, even if you sat down and read it in one single day, I don't know. It would be like drinking from a fire hose. Your brain would not be able to absorb all of the imagery yeah. that is in there. Yeah, unless you were on mushrooms or something. Right. Which we do not recommend as a church. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. But you know, you do you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're much more of about ayahuasca. Nope. Just kidding. Not that either. Not that either. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read the second set of verses, starting in verse 9, and then we'll discuss that. Okay. I, John, am your brother, and your partner in suffering, and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus called us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. And just a pause, there's his word testimony. Witness, yeah. And he was exiled because of it. So the writer of this book has also paid a price. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. And suddenly I heard of behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write a book, write in a book everything you see, and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of the death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. And this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Whoa. Okay, so how do you feel hearing that metaphor? Um, in awe. Um, yes. Like a little afraid, but also comforted. Like, it's cool that he would look like that, but then say the words that he said. Like, you know, he... I am so excited right now. <laughs> You're saying exactly what I want you to say. <laughs> Yay, and I'm not even cheating. <laughs> um, no, I didn't plan this at all. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool, like, just to see something that awesome slash terrible, um, you would yes. expect the words to also match and, you know you worthless peon go forth and do but no it was like he brought even though he looked crazy he brought like comfort 
Exactly. And this is the first time we run in Revelation into this imagery that John is so good at. And he talks about Jesus and he said seeing him was like, in in a different translation, it says seeing him is like seeing the sun when it shines with full power. Wow. You can't look at the sun. No. (laughs) You will be blinded. Yeah. And for some people, Jesus is like this far away, like first century fantasy figure who was like, oh, maybe he was historical, but he wasn't real. Um, And for other people, we have this like really warm, cuddly Jesus (laughs) who just loves us so much. Yeah. Like, oh, how he loves us, right? Yeah. yeah. Lightly bearded, almost Swiss-like Jesus. Right. But And I think John would agree that we can establish this personal relationship with Jesus. But John, it seems like from this imagery, is warning us that imagining that Jesus is a cozy figure who will just make us feel happy inside is completely outlandish. If we saw Jesus as he actually is, it would not make us want to snuggle him. (laughs) We would fall on the ground like we are dead. As if we were dead, yeah. Which is exactly what John does. (laughs) And this is, it introduces us to a few things about the way John writes. So he's he's trying to tell you a dream, remember? He's trying to tell you a vision. So some of these metaphors are hard to mash together. He's like, his hair was like wool. Yeah, and his head (laughs) was white. Right. It's, imagine you're looking at like a surrealist painting. Yeah. But instead of a painting that you're looking at, you're hearing it in words and someone's trying to write it down. That's a cool way to say it. And this is, yeah, and I think when people read Revelation, (laughs) there's some contradictions and there's some things that just plain don't make sense because they're not looking at it that way. Like, for example, in verse 10, John hears a voice like a trumpet and then he turns to look at the voice. He doesn't turn to look at the person that the voice is coming from. He turns to look at the voice, which is physically impossible. You can't see a voice. But then there is a sense where he is looking at a voice because what he sees is Jesus, who is the word of God. That's that's cool. Which, yeah, that's a cool little twist. Yes. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John hears the word and sees Jesus. And then he sees these words that Jesus is speaking, turning into an actual sword coming out of his mouth. (laughs) Terrifying. (laughs) So a, a huge portion of Revelation is about ideas made into images and scripture made real. So when we think about this, we're not, we shouldn't be surprised if someone has been praying and reading scripture for days and days that these are the kind of images that come out. And in particular, when we think of the vision of Jesus, we're like, wow, what a cool thing that John came up with. Well, he didn't come up with it. He's mashing together two images of um, the son of man or one like the son of man in Daniel, in Daniel 7. So in Daniel 7, the people of God are suffering. It reaches its pinnacle. And then the Ancient of Days, God, takes this seat in heaven. And one like the Son of Man is presented before him. So in John, we have these two images 
that merge into one vision of Jesus. And John is basically saying when we are looking at Jesus, we're looking straight through Jesus to actually see God. So just imagine this. If you're listening, um, you can even close your eyes if you would like to, but not if you're driving. (laughs) So just imagine that you're faced with something that is as hard to look at because it's as brilliant as the sun. And if you see eyes, they're literally on fire. Imagine yourself standing beside a huge waterfall. It's noise like thunder. And it's just echoing off of the water and the hills. And it's echoing in your mind. And then imagine that voice talking to you. (laughs) And the hand from that person reaching out to you. Trippy. That is a pretty trippy image. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I this is And the natural reaction that we have is fear. Right, but instead he brings comfort. Right. And what does Jesus say? The first words that come out of Jesus' mouth. Don't be afraid. Yes, you're suffering. Yes, your people are suffering. Yes, times are weird and harsh and There are strange rulers running the world and they're just imposing their will on everyone. And things are bad. They seem bad. Yeah. But Jesus is holding these seven stars in his hand and he's standing next to the seven lampstands. The seven churches, which of course seven is the number of perfection. So just imagine John's writing to actually seven churches. But he's also writing to all churches of all time everywhere. Yeah, they kind of represent us maybe. Right. The churches, the listeners of this book need to imagine and need to know that Jesus himself, who looks like that, is standing in their midst, right in the middle of them, and that the angels, these seven stars that he's holding, who represent and look after each church, the candlesticks, are being held in his right hand. Nothing is happening that Jesus is not aware of, and... That Jesus has his credentials for being this person are the fact that he was dead and now he's alive forever. Those are pretty good credentials. Right. I'd listen to that and guy. And this is... <laughs> well, I'd, I don't know that we would. <laughs> Which maybe that's pessimistic. Maybe I don't know that I would. Yeah. I, we always like to say like, oh, if we lived when Jesus was walking the earth, sure. like, we would totally follow him. Right? But would we? Because this is pretty intense. Would we be the people who are just in a little house church in Philadelphia of five people and we're literally facing losing our job, losing our livelihood, our family being taken away from us because we're following a Jew who's been crucified. And they say that he was resurrected, but was he really? And here Jesus is saying, yes, I was dead, but now I am alive forever yeah and there's a big record you know in a lot of books of people who you know we like to think they're morons because they you saw jesus how could you not just follow and and do the right things but like they're no different than us you know we maybe we would follow sometimes but sometimes we would probably be scared and turn away right and also remember that some of these people especially when revelation was written it had not been that long 
So they didn't have the New Testament. Right. It yeah. didn't exist. They maybe heard some accounts. They maybe had a copy of a letter that had circulated a couple of years ago that was read to their church and then it was passed on to another church. Maybe they had a copy of it if they had someone who could write. So there was a lot more faith yeah, <laughs> going and, on. Right. And to know you're stepping into something so incredibly political is just, it just kicks it up another notch. Like we're lucky we, we can go to any, I mean, apparently we can still go even under lockdown. <laughs> we can still go to, to churches well. and gather. Uh, yeah. Well, exactly. But back then, you know, you do that, you take your life into your hands and exactly. yeah, to be faithful with that, with that in your face is Exactly. And to grasp all of this, it requires so much faith and to actually live by it requires courage. But that faith and courage is what John is writing this book for. Cool. I want to say one to, thing um, that you've mm -hmm. reminded me of a couple times. One of my favorite things in um, like the faith life is paradox um, and like understanding that you just have to be okay with it. And it's, you know, it's all throughout the Bible. You know, Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Um, there's there's so many places where there are apparent contradictions, but they're not contradictions. They're they're paradoxes. And uh, that's one of my favorite things about how we, we look at Scripture is we, we can look at people who are very um, into reading it just 100% literally all the time. And I, I don't know how they deal with some of these things. And uh, for us, it's, you know, it's a big deal. Like we're, we're okay with, with paradox. And it makes me think of this quote. Um, I'm going to get this guy's name wrong, but it's Rabbi Simcha Bunim, B-U-N-E-M. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's the two slips of paper. Maybe you've heard of it. Basically, he keeps uh, two pockets, and in each pocket he has one slip of paper. On one he wrote, uh, for my sake the world was created. And on the other he wrote, I am but dust and ashes. And true wisdom is knowing when to look at which piece of paper because they're both true at certain times. And I, I don't know, I just feel like that's a cool thing to think about uh, and maybe a cool kind of lens to view Revelation through to just, you know, hey, be okay. There's going to be some things here that are a little, they seem a little contradictory, but they're not. They're both true at different times, maybe. Right. And I mean, that's so clear just in the image of Jesus. Yeah. You have this mind blowing, dramatically powerful, like overwhelming Jesus who is beyond gentle. Yeah. And caring. And it, in, a, in a couple of chapters, we're going to see that John hears a voice like a lion and he turns to look at the voice again, same image, and he sees a lamb. Yeah. <laughs> so that same paradox, that same imagery is all over Revelation. And Jesus is, it's comforting because Jesus, the, the metaphor of Jesus is that he has spoken and he's still speaking words that can explain what's going on now and what can happen in the future. And poor John, he's just by himself <laughs> on an island. Like, and it's also interesting because here's another paradox. John was exiled there by the authorities who wanted him to stop his ministry. They wanted to shut him down completely. And it's here where he is alone, driven to prayer for days on end. And then he gets a vision that will literally change the world. 
Yeah, yeah, good point. Hey, so, let's shut this guy up, you know, put him over here and no one's ever going to hear from him again. Oh, wait. Right. Now we have the most explosive vision of God's power and love ever. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's a way more dramatic vision than it is, than the imagery is much more dramatic than when we think of the account of Jesus' life. Right. And John says at the very end, he says he's a partner with the churches in suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance. And maybe we think this is a weird combination. How can the kingdom of God, this mind-blowing thing that Jesus is a part of, sit at the same time with suffering? And that is part of the entire point of this book, is that Jesus, how did Jesus win the victory? Through suffering. So if Jesus won the victory through suffering, How can we think that we will be any different? Yeah. Yeah. I think too, this is, a, this is not exactly the point we're trying to make, but um, anytime someone really steps into who they are and they really like figure out who they are, it usually doesn't come easy. It usually comes through suffering. And so it's almost like that's just, that's baked into the whole thing. Like you're going to have to experience some stuff. Otherwise, you're never going to really know who you are. And I know that's not like a super comforting answer, but it's just kind of the way the universe works uh, through great love and suffering is whenever you have the most growth. Exactly. And it's not just, it's growth in wisdom. Yeah. And wisdom is the goal of faith, not a get out of hell free card. Right, right. A relationship with God where you have actual access to to Jesus and God, this place where heaven and earth meet, and you have this personal understanding of what God is and how God affects your life, and then you grow in wisdom. That's the whole point. And of course, there's a million other points, but that's the main point. Yeah, yeah, that's the bow. And that's it. That's chapter one. (laughs) All of this is going to take faith and courage, but I'm writing you this book so that you'll have it. And here's a picture of Jesus with a knife coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, not just a knife. <laughs> yeah, sorry, a sword. A sword. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of sword that you, you know, swing around like in medieval times. Yeah, yeah, a big broad sword, two at two sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how I like to think of Jesus, like with a samurai sword. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> sorry. sorry for all the Ricky Bobby in this episode. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not sorry. <laughs> No, we already discussed that was totally fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Okay, that was so. Yeah, that was a lot. All of that in one twenty little verses. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I feel like uh, whenever we whenever we're done with this, I'm gonna go back and read it again, and then probably read it again. Yeah, I'm really excited about the possibility of people tuning into Revelation for maybe the first time in their lives. Or if they haven't, or they they have already, maybe thinking about it in just a different way, because it's such an amazing book. Like it's truly mind blowing yeah. what you can get out of Revelation. Um, but it's been used to harm a lot of people. Uh, totally. And there's nothing else in the Bible like it. Oh, I guess in the Old Testament, there's a couple small chunks here and there, but nothing that's like a yes. full book. By the way, I just googled Revelation art. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. 
So, you know, if you're stuck at home and you want something to do, Google Revelation Art. Yeah, we can we can talk about our favorites. <laughs> or don't, if you're feeling emotionally fragile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or if you're prone to scare easy. So, it's still the end of the world, as we know it. <laughs> still feel <laughs> and fine. we feel fine, because yeah. we're going to read the Revelation, and it sucks, and we're going to keep the faith. That's right. Cool. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I'm really excited for for chapter two, right? Yes, ruminate on chapter one, and we shall come back to you, our children, in one week's time. <laughs> yes, hearketh and to sorry, the... I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> I, I tried to join you, but I can't do the old English. Well, uh, as everyone is now aware, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, let's let's stop before we get dumber. Okay. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, friends. See you next week. Yeah, goodbye. Goodbye.